We're going to try to cover the end of Kings uh, tonight, uh, the end of 2 Kings. Uh, we're going to probably jump around a lot of the scriptures because really what I'm hoping to do by the time we finish tonight is you'll have a better understanding of not only the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. Uh, blind Bartimaeus, if you remember, uh, Jesus was passing through Jericho and as he was leaving, do, do you remember Bartimaeus? He was sitting by the roadside and he was yelling something when he heard that Jesus was about to pass by. Anybody remember what he was yelling? Yeah, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that, that title that he gave to Jesus is important. It's essential to, the, to who Jesus is. It's essential to fulfilling the prophecy leading up to this event. And tonight we're actually going to we're going to, as we conclude the time of the kings, we're going to see how important that blind man who could actually see very well as far as the character and nature of Christ, what he was screaming out. So from the start of tonight, uh, or actually I should say the reign of Jehoiakim, which we kind of ended last week with after uh, Josiah, uh, there are 22 years and three, oh, thanks, man. Um, there are 22 years and three months left of the kingdom of Judah. So just to understand that before we get started, we've got 22 years and three months. And I, I want to ask this question of you because it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. If God prophesies destruction and, and you know destruction is coming and you've got 22 years and three months before your community or your country is going to be overtaken, what do you do with that time? Now, most of us would think that would be enough to know that if destruction is coming, to turn around, to repent, to change what we're doing, to cry out to God for mercy, to, to, uh, to seek his, his um, grace in that area. But what we're going to see with the fall of Judah as we did with the fall of Israel, is that they just continue to sin all the more. And that is actually something that I, I, I think we could be aware of even in our own nation today. As, as evil is happening, as calamity comes upon people, we don't see that people repent. We see them actually going further and deeper and endorsing sin all the more. And uh, I think that 2020 was a real litmus test for the spiritual temperature of the United States of America, because when 2020, when the pandemic started, you didn't see people looking to cry out to God. Rather, we saw our nation starting to deteriorate all the more. And so we're going to look at these parallels tonight, and it's not to give you a doom and gloom message, but I think it's, it should, for the Christian, as we read these things, it should say, hey, while I'm on this earth, while I have time, I want to be, live a life that's impactful, that's a light to people. I want people to know that there's a Savior. I'm not content with just walking around, minding my own business, doing my own thing every day. But I want people to know that Jesus Christ came to save and to give eternal life before judgment comes. All right, with that said, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the word. Lord, we do thank you for this night and we pray, Lord, that you'd open up your word to us, teach us now. Lord, may we learn lessons from, from those who came before us, Lord. 
We recognize that we are ending this book of 2 Kings with some very wicked kings, but God, we're also ending it with some incredible promises of mercy and grace that you gave during the time of these wicked kings. So Lord, we thank you that you endure, that you love your people, and Lord, we thank you for this, this time right now, this age of grace, Lord, where we can share the good news of you with others. So Lord, we... We're here. We want to learn from you. We ask for you to transform us, teach us, and may you give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So chapter 24 is going to begin. We're going to pick back up with the reign of Jehoiakim. And we're going to be jumping around uh, some of the prophets tonight. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of piece together these two chapters, the puzzles of everything that was going on, so that uh, when we're done with Second Kings, uh, you can go and read some of these prophets and fill in some of the details. I will say this, though. Jeremiah is a great prophet to read. You see, Jeremiah is, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We read this. Jeremiah chapter 1, 1 through 3. Go ahead and pull that up. I think, I think it went off. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 1, 1 through 3 says, and you guys can turn your own Bibles if it's not working on the screen. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, okay, that's Benjamin and Judah were one kingdom, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. So Jeremiah's prophecy, his time of prophesying lasts all the way from Josiah, who we talked about last week, to uh, the carrying away, to the destruction of Jerusalem, and post-destruction of Jerusalem, because lamentation starts out with a city lying in ruins and destruction. So Jeremiah is a great reading for you guys to do this week after we finish 2 Kings because it will help you kind of put together some of these names. But I do want to remind you of a prophecy that happened in the day of Hezekiah, which was 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. And it went Hezekiah, Manasseh, Josiah, okay? Uh, well, I, I skipped uh, one king, a smaller reigning king, but, but uh, we'll just kind of go with those because those are the ones we've really talked about. 2 Kings 20, 16 through 18, it says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So that prophecy came by the mouth of Isaiah, Isaiah 2, Hezekiah, and Hezekiah heard that prophecy and said, oh, so it's not going to happen in my day? Okay, it's, the word is good. <laughs> Hezekiah was like, all right, as long as it doesn't happen in my day. And then, uh, but now that day is coming here as we get into chapter 24. So chapter 23, Jehoiakim uh, ends up going to, or Josiah goes to battle with King Necho, uh, Pharaoh of Egypt. He loses terribly, even when uh, Pharaoh Necho uh, told him to stay out of the fight. He didn't, and he got into this fight. He loses. And from that point on, Judah becomes a vassal state. 
So they start paying tribute to, uh, to Egypt. Well, now we get, pick up in verse 24 where Nebuchadnezzar comes down. So in, in his days, that's that of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to, um, to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. I'm going to stop there for a moment. So, uh, in the days of Jehoiakim, they're a vassal state now to Pharaoh, Necho uh, of Egypt. Babylon comes down. Nebuchadnezzar comes down, and he actually conquered. He fights against Egypt, pretty much wrecks Egypt. And along the way, he also takes over uh, he, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Judah now becomes a vassal state to Babylon. This is well documented in history. 605 B.C. is your date for, for this happening. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes down. And if you want to look up more of this, you can look up the Battle of Carchemish. Okay? That, that is a well-documented battle uh, of this time frame and what's happening and, and Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar ends up cutting his campaign short with Judah because his father gets really sick in Babylon. And he's got to race home, traveling 500 miles in two weeks to get there to protect his own claim to the throne. So Nebuchadnezzar runs home, but that's, that's when he first takes on uh, Judah, and Judah becomes a vassal state for that three years. But we read here in this first paragraph that Jehoiakim actually decides to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and try to go on his own. Now, we would think that the Lord would really support this rebellion against being a vassal state, but we see that that's not true. In fact, the Lord sends Look at this, raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon against them to destroy Judah. God starts sending all these peoples around because he has already prophesied that Judah's going to fall. This is what's going to happen. And so no matter how patriotic Jehoiakim is, it's not going to work because God has already spoken that he is going to bring about the destruction of Judah because of their wickedness. Now, don't think that Jehoiakim, because he's a patriot for Israel uh, or the kingdom of Judah, is a good man. He's actually a really wicked man. And uh, we, we can read about that from Jeremiah. Jeremiah had, had uh, spoke a lot against uh, Jehoiakim. And we see in Jeremiah 22, verses 18 through 19, 22, verses 18 through 19, Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister, they shall not, he jumped ahead of me there, <laughs> they shall not lament for him, and verse 19, saying, Alas, master, or alas, alas, his glory, he shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. 
And so Jeremiah prophesies that the way he's going to die, nobody's going to grieve him or mourn him because he's doing wickedness. And by the way, Judah is also supporting in this wickedness. The people of Judah themselves have become more wicked. So Jeremiah prophesies a lot against him. In fact, Jehoiakim, we read in verse chapter 36, verse 32, he actually burnt the scroll of prophecy that Jeremiah spoke. Look at verse 32 of chapter 36 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 36, 32. It says, then Jeremiah, okay, you guys got it. Oh, there we go. Um, then Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the book, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many uh, similar words. And so Jeremiah had written this prophecy out, and Jeremiah was actually banned from going to the temple, and he was banned from going in the presence of the king, because nobody wanted to hear Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a message of, of gloom and doom, and nobody wanted to hear him. They didn't want to repent of their sin. They'd rather him just stay away. In fact, we're going to see Zedekiah later puts him in prison, uh, because they don't like the fact that he's speaking on behalf of God. So they, when, when Jehoiakim gets this scroll from Jeremiah of the word of God, he throws it in the fire. He just allows it to be burned. And that was the, the, the way they welcomed Jeremiah. So Jehoiakim is also an evil man. Although he's a, a, a patriot for Judah, standing up and rebelling against evil Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, we see that God is not backing him in that. And I think there's a lesson for us Christians to learn just from this very first paragraph because we've certainly gone into a time where politics are uh, more heated than ever. We see more division. We see division between conservative and liberal. And, of course, there's obviously that, that spectrum there of progressive liberal and, and ultra conservative and all those things. But we find ourselves in a time where we're more... Uh, we, we get more involved with a conservative movement than we do the movement of Christ. Meaning that we're, we're, we're sometimes willing to trade up sharing the gospel for supporting someone conservative. And I think there's, there's, that's the wrong move for the Christian. The Christian should, should recognize that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. Yeah, we're conservative. Yeah, obviously, we want to vote for life and those things which the Bible holds dear. We want to support those things. But just because someone is joining a conservative movement or, or uh, taking on the label of a political party doesn't mean they're with the kingdom of God or they're doing things which the Christian is going to set first in his life uh, as the Christian is going to share the gospel. You and I aren't called to evangelize the Republican Party or the conservative party. We're called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I think that, that we need to make sure when we're getting involved with things that we're going to do so in a way that's honoring to the Lord, that we're going to uh, make sure that we, we're not worshiping a political party or a political representative but we're worshiping the Lord and doing the best, obviously, for our children and our communities and all those things. Otherwise, I'll tell you this, you're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> because, <laughs> because you're going to constantly find yourself losing as the world grows more and more wicked. Uh, and so, so we want to really represent the Lord God like Jeremiah did. Jeremiah had a message for the kings of, of Judah, 
He continually spoke out against their evil and what they were doing, but he, he was there to, uh, to recognize what the Lord had, had spoken through him and not, not just say, well, you know, Jehoiakim's really a, a patriot, so we're going to back him. So verse 5 says, now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicler of the king of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers in Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore. For the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So king of Babylon is now in charge. He's the big man on the block. Verse 8, Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elanathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Oh my, I just remembered I got ahead of myself here. I'm sorry. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to say before we go on to Jehoiakim and his mother Nehushta. Um, the first time Babylon comes down around 605 BC is the moment that the book of Daniel begins. Okay? I wanted to point that out too because I want you to have this in it. So Jeremiah obviously is going through this. Turn over to Daniel chapter 1 for a moment. Um, uh, sorry for getting out of order here. Uh, apologize if I'm causing confusion for you. So turn over to Daniel chapter 1. That's after Ezekiel. And we're going to be starting Daniel the first Sunday in June in Sunday morning. All right. Daniel chapter 1. So it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So where's the land of Shinar? That's modern-day Iraq or Iraq. Verse 3, then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now um, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now, the beginning of Daniel starts with this first, uh, the, the first conquering of, of, from, of Judah from Babylon when they still become a vassal. Jer- Jerusalem's not totally destroyed yet, or Judah, but this is the first uh, carrying away of people, and that's where Daniel starts. And, and I want to say this about Daniel. Daniel's a wonderful book because... What you see is godly men being taken away captive to a foreign land in an ungodly place. A place full of people that worship uh, pagan gods. They have no respect for the Lord God. And not to mention that 
that as soon as they get there, they're given names after pagan gods. The kings change their names and give them these pagan names. So Daniel's a great book for really learning how to stand up and live for God in a, a, in a godless time. And I think uh, it, it, it'd be good training for us as we live out our days in this world. Uh, because it's getting uh, less and less easy to be a Christian. I mean, we just think about what's going on in the world, uh, of which uh, we've seen with this, uh, this leaked paper from the Supreme Court of Roe v. Wade, praise God, them making that decision. It'll save lives, guaranteed. But what are, what are the threats coming out? The threats are to, to go against churches. The threats are to disrupt worship, to disrupt what's going on. It's definitely those Christians. They're the problem. And so I think we can easily say that we find ourselves living among a people who don't fear God. And, and Daniel's a wonderful example of how to live life. And we see that Daniel's example brings um, the kings of Babylon even to humble themselves before the Lord God. So uh, now moving back to Jehoiakim. Go ahead and go back to Second Kings. And uh, we will pick up our speed here in this chapter. Sorry about that. I'm kind of... I'm still recovering from the week. So, um, all right. Uh, Going on to Jehoiakim. So we already read verses 8 through 9. But the key verse is 9. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. So there's your commentary on Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up uh, to Jerusalem, against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. So this is the second group that Nebuchadnezzar has carried away into Babylon. And, uh, one of, and Jehoiakim is one of them. He, he gets very little time reigning on the throne of Judah. Because of the fact he gets three months here. Uh, remember, his dad started to rebel. He was being harassed by other nations. And finally, uh, by the time Nebuchadnezzar can respond, Jehoiakim is now in charge. And Jehoiakim is carried off as a captive. So verse 13. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made the temple of the Lord. As the Lord had said, also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiakim captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen, smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. So Jehoiakim makes it three months, and now he's taken captive um, and uh, taken off to Babylon. So verse 17, then the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamudal, and the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. 
He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. Kim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast him out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against Babel, the king of Babylon. So we, we once again get the commentary that Zedekiah also does evil against the Lord, just like Jehoiakim and just like Jehoiakim. You would think at some point somebody would wake up and go, wait a minute, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we should do something different. But that's how deceitful sin is. Sin just deceives us. It makes us think that, no, this is a really good idea. When it gives us nothing in return of any benefit, of any lasting um, value, sin just takes and so we see these kings just continually doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Zedekiah is actually warned by Jeremiah. Turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 38, and we'll go to verse 14 here. Jeremiah 38 and verse 14. Uh, Zedekiah is concerned with what's going to happen with Babylon. So he pulls Jeremiah out of prison to ask him, hey, what, what, what's going to happen? And, and this is what it says in Jeremiah 38, verse 14. It says, Then Zedekiah the king sent, and Jeremiah the prophet brought him to the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. I, I love Jeremiah here because he's like, I, I'll tell you, but you're not going to like it, and you're going to put me to death. You won't listen anyway, so why do you want to even ask? And Zedekiah says, it says, the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, as the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Uh, there were a lot of noble men in, in Judah at the time who hated Jeremiah. So then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. The city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. We can go back over to Kings. Um, so Jeremiah says, okay, fine, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what's going on. Surrender to Babylon. If you surrender to Babylon, you're not going to be put to death. You'll live, and the city will stay standing. This is a wonderful commentary on the rebellious nature of Zedekiah. Because when he hears this word, he, he calls Jeremiah out of prison to ask him, what's going to happen, what should I do? Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. Zedekiah says, okay, great, I'll do that. Nope, he doesn't do that at all. Let's go to verse 25, verse 1. It says, now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, uh, 2 Kings 25, 1. In the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of Zedek, King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. So at some point, 
Zedekiah could have listened to Jeremiah, the prophet of God, and surrendered. But he doesn't do that. You know why? Because he's rebellious. Because he hates the word of the Lord. Even though he's curious about the word of the Lord, he won't listen to the word of the Lord. He won't be obedient to the word of the Lord. So verse 4, then the city was broken through and all the men of war fled at night by the way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden. Even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city and the king went by the way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him, so they took the king, brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. (laughs) Wow. Talk about it, terrible. The last thing your eyes see. In fact, actually, this was prophesied as well uh, um, against uh, Zedekiah by Jeremiah. And uh, he was told that, that, uh, that this would happen to him. But so he flees basically to the area of Jericho, and he's captured there. And then they bring his kids before him, his sons. They kill them, and then they gouge out his eyes. So the last thing he ever saw was the death of his sons. And then they take him uh, off to Babylon. Uh, Just, you, you have to wonder... Why wouldn't he listen to the Lord? You can live. The city won't be burned. The people will be saved. You can have life. No, I won't listen to the Lord. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You can be saved. You can have life. No. I won't listen. I refuse. The Bible says that all who believe on him will be saved. No, I won't listen. I won't, I won't do it. I won't believe it. The heart of man, the pride of man. Listen, I want to challenge you. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God, but if you're in a place where you've been rejecting God's word in your life, you've been rebelling against God's word. Maybe this is a lesson to be learned, the lesson of Zedekiah, that rather than to be prideful, and the last thing your eyes will see is the judgment, you can repent. You can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I need a savior, I need life, and you can have it, the Bible says. Verse 8. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, um, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem. That is, all the houses of the great uh, he burned with fire. And all the army, the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem around them. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who desired the king, who had, 
sorry, I lost my place, who had deserted the, to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude, but the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broken pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered. The fire pans, the basins, the things of solid, uh, solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles were beyond measure. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and the capital on, uh, the <clears throat> capital on it was bronze, was, was a bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network and pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with the network. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city the officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people who of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, Zeradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. <clears throat> so let's turn over to Second Chronicles real quick. Second Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 15. Second Chronicles 36, verse 15. <clears throat> it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. First thing I want to make a statement about this is before the fall of Jerusalem, the Lord God was sending messengers. In fact, it says they rose up early. Basically, the, the idea here is that, that he got the message to them way ahead of time. What was going to happen? What their evil was going to bring about? God kept sending messengers and messengers and messengers. In fact, we're going to see for over 490 years, God was sending messengers for a longer period of time than this nation, the United States of America, has even existed, God was sending messengers for them to repent of their sin. God was bearing with them. And, and why was he doing it? Because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But how did the people respond? They mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and they scoffed at his prophets until there was no remedy. Do you notice the heart of God is not to say to send one message and say, okay, I'm done with you. Oh, they won't listen anyway. I'm giving up. The heart of God is to continue petitioning and petitioning and petitioning until there is no remedy, until time has happened. I, I, we should be so much, have that same heart of God. We shouldn't just go to somebody once and say, do you know the Lord loves you? Do you know God died for you? Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross for you so that you might have life, that your sins are forgiven and you can have eternal life. And they say, no, I, I don't care. Okay, I'll never talk to him again. He already said no. 
No, the heart of God is that we go back when we see that person again and we can tell them. And that person says, hey, that guy's a Jesus freak. Yeah, that's true. I might be a Jesus freak. But I sure want you to know that God loves you. I'm going to keep praying for you. How can I pray for you? And so they mocked his messengers. Finally, there was no remedy. It was time until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. There is a time coming when there will be no longer a remedy, but the people will find themselves in the tribulation period and judgment will be happening. Judgment will be befalling many. But now we have that time to share. Look at verse 17. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, that's Nebuchadnezzar, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion on young men or virgin. On the aged or the weak, he gave them all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, and treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all his places with fire, destroyed all his precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Listen to this. To fulfill, verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25, he, helps, he prophesies against Judah for not keeping the Lord's Sabbath. Remember, every seven years, the land was to have a Sabbath. The seventh year was to be a Sabbath to God and the land was to rest. The people of Israel were never to plant during that seventh year. It was supposed to just lie, like just let the land rest. Then they could begin replanting again. Seventy Sabbaths equals 490 years. God says, you owe me 70 Sabbaths. So 70 years I'm moving you out of the land. You're being taken away because you broke my covenant. The covenant with, with, with which I made at Sinai. So for 70 years God will leave that land dormant. And the people will face this terrible judgment of God. Go back over to 2 Kings and we'll finish this up with Gildiah, Gildaliah, Gedaliah, Gedaliah. So then, then he made Gedaliah the son of Achim, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah. From Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he had left. Now when all the captains of the armies, they, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael the son, and we're going to go through some names there. Uh, go down to verse 24. It says, And Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land, serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. So basically, they made me governor. Just don't cause rebellion. Just dwell. And we're just going to have to endure this judgment of the Lord. But that's not good enough because they're rebellious people. By the way, Gedaliah seems to be a friend of Jeremiah. You can read about him more in Jeremiah. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishma, and the royal family came with ten men and struck the, and killed Gedaliah, the Jews. The Jews as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt. For they were afraid of the Chaldeans. So 
basically, they rebel against the governor that Babylon had set up. They kill him. And now they're afraid that Babylon's going to come back and bring more destruction on them. So what do they do? Back to the land of Egypt, the place where they're never supposed to go back to. There they go. And they're now in the land of Egypt. Last thing, we have, we end 2 Kings, not with just a total downer, but there's actually evidence of God's grace on a wicked king, Jehoiakim. Verse 27 says, now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him, gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day all the days of his life. It's interesting, I think, that Second Kings ends with this man actually receiving some grace. Uh, after being in prison for some time, this uh, king of Babylon, because he is the legitimate heir to the throne of Judah, uh, the king of Babylon allows him to have uh, take him out of prison, change his prison garments, allow him to eat regularly. Last thing I want to end with tonight, turn with me over to Jeremiah. And we're going to go to, whoop, whoop, sorry. I know it's a lot of turning around in the Bible tonight. And uh, I appreciate the patience as we end Second Kings. By the way, uh, the first Sunday in June will be in Romans here on Sunday nights. Um, Jeremiah uh, gives, as he prophesies um, against Israel or against Judah, Jeremiah 31, we're not going to go there. We're going to actually go to Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 31, actually, Jeremiah prophesies a new covenant coming from the Lord. Not the covenant of Sinai. But, a, but basically the new covenant where God will put his law in their hearts and on their minds. Jesus said at the Last Supper, uh, this cup is the new covenant of my blood which is shed for you. And then in Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah gives a promise to a restored nation of Israel. And let's go to verse 14. It says, Behold, behold the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. So even amidst all this destruction, God gives this promise of hope that he will raise up a king to take, take the seat of the throne of David. And we know that Christ, as Bartimaeus cried out, David, son of, uh, um, sorry, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He recognized Jesus to be that, that heir to David's throne. And we know that the time is coming when he will actually take the seat on that throne of David and reign during that millennial reign of Christ. So there's always hope uh, 
with God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word. And uh, Lord, as we consider these things, Lord, we want to confess our rebelliousness to you. If you've heard the word of the Lord, but you've been living in rebellion, you confess that now to him. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've grieved your spirit. We cry out to you, Lord. We thank you so much for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for the forgiveness that you've given to us, the hope of eternal life. We thank you, Lord. We pray your blessing on each and every one as we consider these things, as we say goodbye to these wicked, the account of these wicked kings, Lord. Let us live faithfully and obedient to your call. Teach us, Lord. We, we just give you all the thanks and all the praise. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Pray all this in your name. Amen. As much as I love to end on a real encouraging note, and uh, I do want to pray. Brett just brought uh, some to my attention. It looks like uh, there was a shooting at a church here in Laguna Woods and um, earlier today, and uh, one person was killed, or I should say murdered, and uh, I'm not sure if it's four or five others were wounded, but uh, let's just pray for that church, huh? Lord God, Father, we do pray for your mercy upon this Presbyterian church in Laguna Woods. We're so sorry to hear about this, Lord. And we, we hate that our nation is so easily trading life for death. And there's so many sick people. So, Lord, we pray for your peace to overshadow this place. We pray for your mercy. We ask, Lord, for comfort for the, the victim, the families of the victims. We pray, Lord, that you'd also comfort the church. Oh. Lord, show your mercy to them. Lord, please save our nation. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be lights, and we know that there are hurting people, and we have truth. We'll be faithful, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.